the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's edition of The Plum Line, brought to you by Reasons for Hope, training and equipping a new generation to stand boldly on the Word of God. You can find information about them at r4h.com. That's the letter R, then F-O-R-H.com. And you can check out their new resource, Glad You Asked, answers to 12 tough questions about Christmas that you need answers for. Pick up a copy of that at that same website, r4h.com. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, I'll continue my visit with Joe Boot of the Ezra Institute as we discuss healing from a biblical perspective. And you can reach me via email anytime, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Plum is P-L-U-M-B, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Support for The Plum Line is provided by these fine business sponsors. EPS Wealth Management of Phoenix, who serves clients in several states. Call them for a no-cost, no-obligation conversation about your financial concerns. 623-537-3657. Abundant Life Landscape, your irrigation repair specialist. Call them at 619-277-2410. And by Charles McLucas, Jr., founder and CEO of Charitable Trust Administrators, Inc. Learn about the benefits of a charitable remainder trust at ctai-ca.com. Support for The Plum Line is also provided by Simple Turn. Their online health resources teach your kids how health really works and how to avoid 90% of chronic disease. Get your family's free health course at mysimpleturn.com. On today's edition of The Plum Line, I'm your host, Jay Rudolph, and I am joined by the Reverend Dr. Joe Boot, founder and president of Ezra Institute, as we continue discussing healing from a biblical worldview on The Plum Line. Welcome back to the broadcast, Joe. Thanks for having me back, Jay. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to continuing our conversation here. And for folks who missed the first part of this, you can look it up at places where you go for podcasts. Take uh, Spotify, for example. I know it's there, so I always refer to that one. Just put in the plumb line with Jay Rudolph, and you'll be able to find this broadcast today, the one that we did uh, previously on this subject. And this go-around here, we're going to draw some attention and focus to the question, does God want to heal everyone? I found an excellent column by a man by the name of Don Stewart, and you can find this at blueletterbible.org. I'm not really that familiar with that website, blueletterbible.org, but that's where I found this, so I, I want to reference and give credit to them and to Mr. Stewart as well, as I'm going to kind of use some of his thoughts for background here and to ask some questions of my guest, Joe Boot. And I want to start this way, in that you know, certainly, and I know, and most other people know, that there's a, a false teaching out there that says that, you know, every believer should be healthy and wealthy. And typically it goes you know, with the statement like, if you're not, you just don't have enough faith. Uh, so let's start there. That's a false teaching, right? Yes, absolutely. The notion that purely the internal condition of your posture toward God, as though faith even is merely a posture of believing something really strongly, 
that it's going to happen or visualizing it or claiming it or whatever it may be is going to result in your desires being fulfilled just because you've included the name God or Jesus with that somewhere is, is more akin to magic, I think, than the Christian world and life view. We talked in, on the last program about the fact that the Christian worldview, distinct from evolutionary secular worldviews where death, disease, suffering, nature, red in tooth and claw is the natural normative condition of creation. We noted that that was uh, an anti-normative condition was a result of the fall into sin and ruin, and that's why we feel it as abnormal. That's why we feel the need for healing and restoration. That's why we don't like suffering. That's why we ask questions about suffering and evil, because human beings intuitively recognize something is wrong with the world, and that testifies to God's wrath and our need for healing and restoration. That does not mean in every case God is going to heal somebody who is sick, even if they are a Christian. And I think it's very unhelpful, in fact, destructive when we teach people that if they just believed something strongly enough or visualized or thought about something with enough ardor or urgency and worked up enough belief that what they desire is going to happen to them and that if it doesn't happen, it's because actually they failed to conjure up enough faith. And that, that's a very, very serious and destructive teaching. Yeah, no doubt. And I wanted to point that out right at the get-go here as we set out on this uh, second broadcast on this subject here on the Plumb Line. I also want to reference uh, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 6, which is quoted in this column I'm looking at. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Now, that one in conjunction with others that talk about the the Lord being our healer and by his stripes we are healed, verses like that are, are kind of what is referred to by this movement, this prosperity gospel movement, to try to claim that all of our diseases will be healed by the Lord here and now on this earth at this time. And that just doesn't, as we've said already, align with the context and the reality of Scripture. Yes, I think usually when we come across an error or an erroneous teaching that has been latched onto by Christians and they're using Bible passages to justify it, we often find that an element of truth has been identified, but it's been exaggerated and pushed to an extreme to the exclusion of other texts that are equally important. I mentioned actually in the first show that we did in discussing this subject that we can and we should pray bold prayers. God deals with us in terms of his covenant, in terms of his covenant law word. The gospel is his covenant word to us. And Paul is very clear to the Corinthians that some of them in the church were sick and some had even died because they'd abused the Lord's table. So they had been abusing the Lord's covenant uh, and taking it lightly. So God does deal with us covenantly. And it is certainly true to say that if we walk in faithlessness, disobedience, and abuse the Lord's covenant, then we're, in a certain sense, invoking on ourselves temporal forms of judgment. The Bible is clear about that. That can happen to individuals, churches, even nations, because righteousness exalts a nation. Scripture says that sin is a reproach to any people. 
So the scriptures do talk about, for example, confessing our sins so that we may be healed. So we should be thinking of this issue in terms of God's covenant, in terms of his warnings and his promises, and with a willingness to take God at his word and pray bold prayers. Now, if all these people were saying, Jay, was let's pray bold prayers, let's go to the Lord knowing that he is omnipotent, in other words, he's all-powerful, he loves us, he's good to us, he's always faithful, he's good all the time, uh, even when we don't understand what he may be doing. Let's be bold in our prayers. In terms, of, Well, God loves big, bold prayers when they are involved in actual trust and reliance upon him and his sovereignty. And I think sometimes they stray because they recognize that God is a good God, he's faithful, he's our saviour, he's our healer, he's our redeemer. And they emphasise one point to the exclusion of other vital points that are equally critical. And so what I would want to say is, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, because some people get the teaching about healing and restoration wrong. Let's not then say, well, God can't ever heal or do anything. Let's not shrink back from praying bold prayers. Let's look at what God's covenant word says in the Psalms and all over scripture and confess our sins and make sure we're walking in faith and obedience and then pray. But then we have to trust God. Then we have to leave it in the hands of God. Then we leave our prayers and requests. We bring them to him knowing that he cares for us. If the prayer is not answered in a way that we would like, we don't then abandon the Lord or teach somebody that they don't have faith. We have to trust the Lord in these things. And I think so a, a truth is pushed to an extreme to the exclusion of other truth, and that leads to a serious error. Mm. And that leads really nicely into what's been on my mind as you were sharing there that I want to bring up. And this is something else that I've had the opportunity to preach on, that when we pray, it is important that we pray for God's will to be done, I believe. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I guess, as you're sharing here, I'm thinking that there's nothing wrong with praying that you know his will would be to heal so-and-so of whatever disease or affliction, but ultimately we want his will to be done. Yeah. So we can talk about, I think, their God's decretive will and then God's revealed will. So we don't know what the decretive, that is the secret will of God in his divine counsels. We don't have access to that. And the secret things, the scripture says, belong to the Lord. King David said, I've I've quieted myself like a weaned child and I've not occupied myself with things too wonderful for me. What we can do is pray in terms of his revealed will. And we know that God wants to advance his kingdom. We know that the Lord wants to strengthen and equip his people. We know that God wants to save. We know that he wants to redeem. We know that he loves to heal and restore. So we can pray in terms of his revealed will. And then in our attitude of prayer and in our posture towards God, we actually actually have to take that truly seriously and recognize that there are times when God's will is not my will. And that his will in in any number of different circumstances can be different to mine. And it's his will be done, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And there are times when what God says in his covenant word to us that we should be approaching him about, we should go boldly in terms of all of the good promises of God. And then we need to say, Lord, not what I will, but what you will. And so 
I guess what I'm saying, Jay, is I think with the importance of understanding this issue theologically correctly, I don't think we should be too concerned about making sure our prayers are doctrinally exacting in that we have to sort of caveat every prayer with only if it be your will. I think we pray boldly, we trust the Lord, and we leave it in his hands. And we can say to him, Lord, now your kingdom come, your will be done. It is with God then to act and to decide, because let's take the question of healing that we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. It talks about gifts of healings. So we're not talking about healers who wander around with an absolute gift of healing so that they can heal whoever they like. It's God who distributes gifts of healings severally as he wills. Now, you and I don't know who it is that God may want to heal in any, any given situation. So I'm going to pray and trust the Lord and pray in boldness and in faith that God will touch a person and heal them and leave that with the Lord. The difficulty is when we refuse to leave that with the Lord and then we make demands of God that are not ours to make. Does that make sense? Mm, definitely. I'm glad I asked that because I really appreciate your thoughts on that. And I just want to mention as we go to the break here, Isaiah 55, a couple of verses that I'm sure the listeners are familiar with that say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That always needs to be on our minds as yeah. a reminder of who is God here. And uh, the sovereign God is the creator, not us. <laughs> his ways, his thoughts are higher than ours. So thank you so much for that, Joe. I look forward to hearing what else you have to share with us as we wrap up the show here in just a bit. But let's go ahead to the break here. And as we do so, let me remind you in the listening audience that I would love to have you reach out and say thanks to the business advertisers you hear from. These are Christian-owned businesses and ministries that advertise on the show to pay for the airtime so that this show can air in your area. The Plum Line airs all around the country only because of these uh, business and ministry sponsors. So thank them, do business with them. If you can utilize any of their services or products, that would be greatly appreciated. And you can share support with me, this listener-supported radio ministry, when you email theplumlineradio at gmail.com. I can let you know how to do that, The Plum line radio at gmail.com stay tuned when it comes to education for your student northwest christian school believes that trusted truth transforms with that in mind they developed their fully online christian school ncs online for your kindergarten through ninth grade student NCS Online Curriculum has been developed in-house by experienced Christian educators and is infused with a biblical worldview. NCS Online provides a rigorous, affordable, customizable online education in an established Christian community and culture. Visit ncsonline.org to learn more or contact their admissions team at 602-978-5134. You're tuned in to The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast, my guest is Joe Boot, founder and president of the Ezra Institute. You can look them up at ezrainstitute.com. Lots of great resources, podcasts there, helpful materials they have available, ezrainstitute.com. And 
Joe, we want to kind of talk a little bit about uh, another facet, I guess, of this whole discussion on healing from a biblical worldview, and that is the aspect of uh, medicine and doctors and things like that. God is our ultimate healer, and we've been discussing the fact that he chooses his thoughts, his ways are higher than ours, and so in his mercy he heals some physically during this lifetime, and others are not healed uh, physically, but we all are healed ultimately. I guess maybe before I even get to the discussion about medicine and doctors, I think maybe I should have you remind all of us that ultimately we all experience healing. If we don't get healing from our diseases and afflictions in this lifetime, we will in the next if if we've trusted in Christ, right? Yeah, I mean, when the psalm says he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and so on, if we struggle with a sickness in our lifetime and we're not healed of it in an immediate way by the Lord, that doesn't mean that we've been denied ultimate healing. It just means that in this life, we've not received the fullness of the gift of restoration. Remember, we all have to die of something. So every single one of us, organs in our body are going to fail. They will be diseased and we will die. And that comes to every single one of us. Now, in the journey, some of us will receive a measure of healing, some very dramatic and sort of immediate where God acts in a very direct way. Some of us through immediate means. But if we're not healed, that does not mean we're not going to be healed. And so the promises of Scripture as well, we have to see them in terms of this full spread of redemptive revelation, the full spread of the fulfillment of God's covenant of promise that the seed of the woman is going to destroy the serpent's work. And so, you know, you remember when Christ died at the cross and the temple curtain is rent in two and there's an earthquake and, in a sense, the holy of holies, the rending of that curtain is, again, access to paradise. It's access to the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, at that time, it says that some of the dead got out of their graves of the saints of old and were seen in Jerusalem. There was a first fruits there. There's a mystery there, but that was the power of what took place. So this healing, this restoration gets worked out through the entirety of redemptive history until the final consummation. So the Bible is not misleading us when it tells us he forgives all our sins, he heals all our diseases, he redeems us from destruction, he crowns us with loving kindness. These things are all true, but just like sanctification, the totality of the realization of our restoration is a process. Thank you for reminding us of that. It was great truths from the scriptures here. And now let's move on to what I started to move into, and that is this idea that while God is the healer, he oftentimes uses doctors, medicines, whatever, natural products. Uh, some are really into a variety of natural things. Uh, so whatever it may be, God often employs these things in bringing about our healing, right? That's right. And actually, uh, Jay, we have um, we have scriptural illustrations of that. Well, first of all, we know in 2 Corinthians 12, I think 7, that Paul has a thorn in his flesh, some sort of an ailment that he asked God to deliver him of. And the Lord says to him, you know, three times, no, my, my grace is sufficient for you. And it seems that Paul was not healed of that. But then when he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 23, He tells Timothy to take some wine as a medicine for his stomach issues and his uh, many ailments or his many infirmities. So it seems that Timothy struggled 
with a number of infirmities. Wine, of course, is well known, especially red wine, for having a, a medicinal effect with digestion and with the stomach. We see that the elders of the church are called for, James says, and can anoint with oil. And some scholars have said that this anointing with oil may not just be ritualistic, but actually also a kind of balm, a healing balm. And we know that the Apostle John in John 3, he prays at the beginning of his letter in verse 2 that they may prosper and be in health even as they are strong in the inner man. So physically and spiritually, the prayer is that they will be whole. And at the same time, we know that that wasn't the case for all of the disciples or the apostles or their co-workers all of the time. In 2 Timothy 4, for example, Trophimus is left in Miletus sick. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Luke, in the book of Acts, of course, who's recording the story of Paul's journeys in some of these instances, himself was a doctor. But there is a medicinal component even in Paul's prescription to Timothy. And so I think this is a, an indication that comes actually to us right out of the Older Testament with the role of the Levites and the priests. The Levites and the priests had, in a certain sense, the function also of doctors. They were to inspect people with skin diseases. There was a, a medical role for the priest within Israel. And very quickly, the early church picked this up, and it was the Greek medical people were called physicians. They believed in magic and healing gods and everything else. It was a very risky business being a Greek physician, because if you didn't heal somebody, you were liable and you may be in serious trouble. That's why mm. they would usually flee when plagues hit the city, because they were in deep trouble at that point. And Christians went in, and Christians ministered to the sick very early on. We've got very early records of hospitals for the elderly and eye hospitals and all kinds of places for medical care being set up by Christians. And they were soon called doctors because uh, initially the word doctor was applied to the doctor of theology and it was then applied to the doctor of the outer man as well. So the pastor, often a theologian, was seen as the doctor of the soul and the medical doctor, the doctor of the body. And they worked together in terms of the wholeness of the person. And so God, of course, does work not just immediately, or what we might say miraculously, in working a special work of healing in our lives without medical intervention. He also heals through the gifts that he's given to human beings in medicine and in the medical profession and in the development of the sciences. The sciences and the medical sciences developed in the lap of Christendom. They developed out of a Christian world and life view. A Christian worldview about God, about the world, about the human person. And so modern medicine is one of the ways that God uses to heal us and restore us. And my own wife had a battle with cancer, actually, when she was still in her 30s, by the grace of God. She's still with me today, healthy and strong. But it was a, a very frightening time in many respects. And it was through medicine and faithful treatment that God granted her healing and restoration. And yet I've also known people who have experienced miraculous healing from very serious conditions. So God works in both of these ways, and we see evidence of both in the Older and in the Newer Covenant.
Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing up that aspect. There's so much more that I could bring up here and that we could discuss. Uh, Maybe we'll have to do a future broadcast diving even deeper into some of the aspects of this. But I have just a moment left, and I want to leave the listener here with what you want to leave them with, what you think is uh, most important for them to digest and, and meditate on as we go forth from the broadcast here. I think with this issue, because it's so often very much a pastoral issue, not just a sort of intellectual apologetic issue, it's very much a pastoral issue. I think that what we need to focus on is the character and nature of the God that we worship. And that is manifest most profoundly, of course, in the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he is made known to us, of course, by the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture is clear that God knows how to give good gifts to his children. Uh, Jesus reminds uh, the disciples that, you know, aren't two sparrows sold for a farthing and not one of them falls to the ground without your father. Every hair on your head is numbered. Are you not worth more than many sparrows? Sometimes I think when we're struggling, especially when we're struggling with a question of illness or sickness, we wonder about the goodness of God. We wonder about our worth to God, etc., And I think what we need to do in this whole issue is focus on the big picture that we've talked about, Jay, the cosmic picture of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and consummation. And that the Lord Jesus is healing and restoring us. He's renewing us. Salvation, he's restoring us to total wholeness. And his character and nature is absolutely unchangeable. He is good, and he knows how to give good gifts to his children. He knows which gifts to give to us when. Uh, He knows how he wants to do it. And we know that all things work for the good of them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose, whatever the circumstances we may walk through and be in. And that's the wonder, the beauty of a covenantal relationship with God in and through Christ, that he is with us. He is totally faithful. Keep trusting Jesus. Mm, Thank you so much for that. Thanks for being with me, Joe. It's a pleasure. Joe Boots, again, he is the president and founder of the Ezra Institutes with locations in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom, where I connected with him, discussing healing from a biblical worldview on the plumb line today. My thanks to you for tuning in, and I hope you can be back with me for the next edition of the plumb line. You can reach out to me, share your thoughts, comments, questions about the broadcast at this email, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, and we'll see you next time on The Plum Line. The Plum Line has been sponsored by Reasons for Hope. Check them out at r4h.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.